Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Wednesday, August 23rd, and today I'm joined by my SSI colleague, Dr. Chris Mason. Earlier this week, President Donald Trump announced a new strategy for the war in Afghanistan in which he pledged to end what he termed nation-building and instead focus U.S. policy on addressing the terrorist threat emanating from the region. The president provided few specifics about this new approach and how much the U.S. military commitment in the region would increase as a result. But he did say that conditions on the ground would determine troop levels and the overall strategy, and that the U.S. government would seek to pressure Pakistan more regarding its role in Afghanistan. So I've asked Chris to join us today to discuss this further. Chris, as many of you may know, is our resident South Asia expert. He's also the author of the book, the Strategic Lessons Unlearned from Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And he's most recently the author of a just-published essay on the SSI website entitled Lost in Translation on the kinds of conflicts the Pentagon is likely to become involved in over the next several years. So, Chris, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. Chris, let me ask you first to set set some background for us. What's the been, What's been the state of the fight in Afghanistan since uh, President Trump's been in office? I think uh, the trajectory in Afghanistan uh, has remained constant. I think there's a general sense throughout the, the community uh, of Afghan watchers and Afghan analysts that the uh, Taliban are making slow progress, uh, incremental progress uh, in territorial control in Afghanistan. The latest figures I saw were that the government of Afghanistan completely controls 23% of its territory and contests another 45% of its territory. So, uh, meaning that the Afghan uh, uh, Taliban has territorial, complete territorial control over about a third of the country. Uh, I also saw recently that the Afghan Taliban has freedom of movement through almost 80% of the country. Uh, I, and at that number, those numbers are slowly increasing. So in that sense, I, I don't, I don't see a stalemate. I see a slow erosion of Afghan government control. So it's safe to assume then that that slow erosion is what has driven this effort on the part of the Trump administration to develop this new strategy. I think so. Uh, I think we should be cautious about uh, uh, the term strategy, which the, the media uh, throws around pretty, pretty freely. In, in the sense that what we heard on Monday night uh, was, not, was not all of uh, what is going to be put into effect, but the, the, rather the public part of what's going to be put into effect. What I heard on Monday night was a plan for increasing troop levels and trying to put pressure on Pakistan to amend its behavior. There will certainly be aspects of uh, the administration approach to Afghanistan, which we won't be privy to uh, and shouldn't be privy to, but uh, may put pressure in the right places uh, behind the scenes. Let me ask you to expand a little bit on that in terms of what your perceptions are of the elements, at least the publicly announced elements of uh, of this new plan or strategy, as the media media is term is is terming it. Do you think the things that were announced, some uh, indeterminate increase in troop levels, increased pressure on Pakistan, are these the kinds of things that you think uh, are necessary 
to try to reverse this trend you noted earlier? Frankly, I, you know, in studying Afghanistan over the last 17 years, I, I haven't seen any evidence that Pakistan is willing to or able to uh, change its policy towards Afghanistan. Uh, the, the, the Pakistani government has certain or perceives certain strategic interests in Afghanistan, and I don't think any external pressure is going to significantly affect that calculus. In terms of the, the military contest and the U.S. troop engagement in Afghanistan, uh, I certainly think that uh, some additional commitment from the United States is necessary to uh, put the brakes on that erosion that we talked about earlier, the erosion of territorial control uh, by the Afghan government. Whether that would take the form of uh, increased air power or increased advisors or increased U.S. special operations presence in the country or some combination of all three is probably part of the package that we can expect to see. Uh, However, I I don't think that uh, anything that uh, could be contained in that package of military options is going to change the strategic outcome in Afghanistan because the political military factors that will drive the outcome are beyond our control. When you say they're beyond our control, do you mean that they are more in the hands of the local actors? For example, you know, as, as you know very well, uh, the role of Pakistan here probably can't be understated in terms of uh, providing safe haven, uh, perhaps even doing more to uh, support the uh, the Taliban and to undermine the government in in, in Kabul. So, is that what you're getting at in terms of the, the broader the broader issue, the strategic issues? Partly, the the ability of the Afghan Taliban to uh, find safe haven in Pakistan uh, and an opportunity to regroup, uh, retrain. Uh, rest and and recruit uh, across uh, the international border is is uh, incalculable. Really, uh, research shows that uh, in in 51 foreign internal conflicts since the end of World War II, no uh, insurgency or uh, or revolution which had access to uh, uh, cross-border sanctuary uh, was ever unsuccessful in toppling uh, the the government of the country uh, they were fighting. In other words, uh, it, as a political military uh, factor, the presence of cross-border sanctuary uh, is is predictive of failure historically in 100 uh, percent of those. Uh, foreign internal conflicts which have taken place since the end of World War II. So, as you say, it's difficult to overstate the case of the importance of uh, uh, cross-border sanctuary in Pakistan. But I'm also referring to uh, broader political factors uh, in Afghanistan, which we don't really have control over, Uh, the extent to which Afghans uh, feel themselves to be a nation, uh, in, in the sense of placing their personal identities at the national level, such as you and I might say, I'm an American, or someone from Cuba might say, I'm a Cuban, uh, or, or I'm, I'm Brazilian, or, or what have you. 
I don't think very many Afghans would you know, place their personal identities at that national level, but rather at some tribal clan uh, or family sub-level. Uh, I don't think that we can control the extent to which Afghans perceive their government as legitimate. Uh, and, and the legitimacy of governance has been a key determining factor uh, in the outcomes of foreign internal conflict since the end of World War II. Uh, no government that was not perceived as legitimate by at least 85% of its population has ever succeeded in suppressing an insurgency or winning a civil war. So there are some macro factors there that just aren't uh, uh, within our ability uh, to effect uh, with a a package of military options. Chris, let me ask you to talk a little bit more about uh, the role of Pakistan here, if you could, for just a minute. You know, the president said on Monday in his uh, his speech on this uh, new strategy that he was hoping to pressure Pakistan more and that he was also going to open the door to India to become more involved in some way in Afghanistan. Today we see media reports from the Secretary of State that the United States may pull back or withdraw Pakistan's status as a major non-NATO ally. So it looks like the administration is trying to assemble uh, carrots as well as sticks to try to pressure Pakistan. Do you think there's any combination of those sorts of things that might result in the end of the safe haven there that the Afghan Taliban has had? In short, no. I don't see Pakistan changing its strategic calculus. And I think that the, the cards that we have to play in that poker game are not a winning hand. Uh, I don't think that you know being a, a non-NATO ally is particularly important uh, to Pakistan. I, I don't think that you know in their strategic calculus, uh, that's a deal maker. Uh, I think their, their calculus is relative to India. Uh, and the security of their northern flank. To the extent to which India becomes more involved in Afghanistan in a visible way, which I think the Indian government is probably not uh, particularly keen to do, is is more likely to add fuel to the fire than, than pull it out. Uh, I think Pakistan's calculus uh, is, is heavily based on a need for India to be uh, an existential threat to the existence of the state of Pakistan. I think uh, Pakistan has significant centrifugal forces at play uh, in its disparate provinces, uh, Balochistan, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, Sindh, and the Punjab, that are continuing to uh, pull the the country apart. Uh, One-fifth of the country... uh, Bangladesh uh, spun off in 1978, and I think the Pakistani government has legitimate concerns that uh, separatist elements in Balochistan in particular, where an insurgency has been going on for more than 30 years, uh, as well as in Sindh, where we're beginning to see uh, Sindhi nationalism uh, in a, in a Sindhi independence movement. Uh, threaten the the, the, the the very core of the Pakistani state, and I think India, uh, as a as an external foe, uh, is is the bete noir that the Pakistani government uses uh, to rally the nation and unify 
the nation uh, to to tamp down uh, these centrifugal forces. Uh, so, um, to the extent that that India appears to be more of an existential threat to Pakistan, or can be made to appear to be more of an existential threat to Pakistan, I don't, I don't think it, the Indians have any interest in Pakistani territory at all. Uh, that uh, plays into the Pakistanis' hands. That uh, you know, look now, now there's even more Indians up in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, the, the Pakistanis already see. Uh, an, an Indian agent behind every rock in Afghanistan, and uh, a more public role for India, which has been quite restrained in in in, in its uh, public uh, public appearance in, in Afghanistan, it, it will will only you know uh, inflame those uh, those tensions with with India that the Pakistani government manages to its benefit. Chris, let me ask you one last question, and that is to to take a step back from the policy or strategy pronouncements earlier this week and even just from the Trump administration itself. You know, this is already America's longest war. It looks looks like it's not going to be ending anytime soon, especially with uh, President Trump's commitment to uh, relying on conditions on the ground to dictate troop levels and overall strategy. What's your sense of whether and how the United States can really achieve what it's trying to achieve in Afghanistan? And if we, if the objective is to create or to foster the development, I should say, of a state that is stable, that can maintain internal order and control over its external borders and not become a haven for terrorism, even though it may not be a perfect example of democracy, is that something that is that is achievable over time? Is it something that's achievable with the, with the right mix of resources? Or are some of these things you spoke of earlier, such as identity, uh, legitimacy, uh, we haven't touched on it, but we've been talking around it, corruption, are these things that are simply going to frustrate any effort, in your view, regardless of resources and, um, and the commitment? I think uh, by any realistic assessment, the Afghan government isn't doing any of those things today. Uh, within within the last six months, we discovered a major Al Qaeda training base uh, in Taliban-controlled territory. The Taliban today controls about 35 uh, percent of the territory of Afghanistan, where uh, it should be said about 80 percent of the population lives in the rural areas, and about 20 percent of the population lives in, in urban areas. Uh, so 35% of the territory doesn't uh, necessarily correspond to 35% of the population. It could be a, a larger uh, segment of the population than that. Uh, this, the short answer to your question is, is no. Uh, I don't think uh, the strategic components uh, exist uh, for the current Afghan government to retain power in the long term. Certainly, all, all of the trend lines uh, in terms of, of historical markers in, in insurgency are negative. Uh, the Afghan National Army uh, is struggling, uh, struggling to maintain its current size, let alone to, to grow larger. We're seeing figures now that the Afghan National Security Forces are suffering uh, approximately 250 men killed in action per week, uh, which is a staggering total. Uh, about uh, two-thirds of those are policemen. 
so, and there's there's been a consistent problem, as as you know, with desertions, attrition, which has run close to 30 to 35 percent over the last 16 years in the Afghan security forces. Uh, I, I don't think these are positive indicators for the kind of outcome that you're describing in Afghanistan. And I think we should be taking a harder look at at more difficult options in Afghanistan. Well, Dr. Chris Mason, Research Professor of National Security Studies at the SSI here at the War College, thanks so much for joining us today and shedding light on uh, on this, this shifting strategy toward Afghanistan. Uh, thanks, John. Anytime. Listeners, if you'd like to read Chris's book, The Strategic Lessons Unlearned from Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, you can find it now at SSI's website. You can download it there for free. That website is ssi.armywarcollege.edu. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any questions or comments on our podcast, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. Again, that's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.